I'm Alicia. And I'm Ashley. And we are Murd Nerds. Hello, fellow Murd Nerds. If you keep coming back for more, thank you. We love you. You're what holds this little true crime family together. <laughs> Actually, I had something to say, but I forgot it. Well, I hope you have a great day for being the glue that holds our little true crime family together. If you're new here, Murd Nerds is a true crime podcast hosted by myself, Alicia, and my best friends in seventh grade, Ashley. And each week, Either Ashley or myself research and retell a case of the unsolved, missing, or bizarre within true crime. And by our side, the Robin to mine and Ashley's Batman, our producer and editor and voice of reason, Jeremy. I get to be Robin? You get to be Robin. He's superior in the... Okay. In the... the... (laughs) So, Jeremy, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm broken, but I'm good. He's a little broken. (laughs) A little back broken. A little back broken. It'll be Ashley. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you? A little hungover. We got to celebrate our buddy Cameron's birthday out at his on his property last night, and I don't remember a lot, and I feel everything. We had a good time. I'm the only normal one here today, which is a shock and a half to everyone (laughs) listening, if you've listened in the past, uh, because Ashley's hungover, and Jeremy's got a broken back. Mm. (laughs) Not literally. His back's not literally broken, everybody. He is okay, but but he's in some pain. Yeah, so if you hear me rustling around, you know, I'm getting up to stretch out. (laughs) So, I've decided each week to ask a quick little question that isn't true crime. Okay. Just so our audience can get to know us a little better and it kind of loosens us up for the storytelling that's to come within the episode. So I'm going to ask you guys, you two, Ashley and Jeremy, uh, a question. So this week's question. What are you going to call this the question of the pod? Yeah. (laughs) That's a really good name. I wonder where that came from. Am I missing something? <laughs> the call guys. Oh. Ours is at the beginning, theirs is at the end. So <laughs> Okay, so this week's question is if you could be any sound, what sound would you be? I know mine. Go ahead. The sound that Boba Fett's chip makes when he attacks people. <laughs> it's such a cool noise. It's my favorite noise Can in the whole Star Wars. It? No, I cannot. Can you try? <laughs> this is this was a trap. This was a trap. <laughs> Every bit of that was a trap. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> that's not the sound it makes. That's not the sound it makes. It's not some it's sound you can just make. Uh, I bet I beg to differ. I bet you could try. <laughs> I can't. It's like. (laughs) (laughs) It's like. (laughs) Because it's like pulses, like shooting from the ship, kind of. So it's like a really, like a pulse noise. Okay. Jeremy? So, let me. 
is there a, is there a stipulation, a reason why? I mean, would this be a sound because it's a popular sound and Mm-mm. you'd be everywhere all the time? Just if you wanted to be a sound, what sound? It's would just you a be? weird, dumb question, so she can get you to make the sound on on the mic. Oh, I had no intentions until <laughs> recently <laughs> to ever make you do it, but. I had one, and then you mentioned Star Wars, and I'm like, oh, God, there's, there's a lot some of great cool sounds. sounds there. I mean, the sound of a lightsaber would be, oh, you know, yeah. wouldn't that be? Wow. You know? But, I mean, think about this. If you were the sound of a fart. Oh, my God. That's my you would answer. Be every, <laughs> the sound Your of a answer's fart. a fart? <laughs> Everywhere. He's like, well, there's Jeremy. <laughs> oh, my God. That reminds me of Jeremy. Your face, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my answer was I would be a fart because farts always make people laugh, and I I would just like to make people laugh, so I'd be a fart. That's great. Oh my god, is this what we're doing now? <laughs> this is where we are. <laughs> Thank you, call guys, for the question of the pot. Yep. Oh, that's it's funny. episode thirty-four. Anything's fucking possible in this. <laughs> Does place. that mean that I need to come up with one for next week? Oh wait, this is I mean, never mind. This is going to air after, so. I can come up with a question every week if you want me to. I would love that. Okay. Or you can do like the call guys do and have your listeners email you questions for the pod. Yeah, if you guys want to ask us a question, email us at murdnerds at gmail.com. You can do that. I'll just take it though and say it's my question of the week. <laughs> Alicia's all I'm about kidding. plagiarism. <laughs> so... To the reason you guys are all here, whenever I start researching, it's usually because I've been thinking about a story for a while. Um, But this week, for whatever reason, I was having trouble finding a case that I really wanted to get into. Mind you, I've got hundreds of cases I want to do in the future. I've got like a list, you know, stuff that I've been interested in and listened to. I have two lists. Oh, (laughs) la-ti-da. I know. (laughs) So you better step up your fucking game. But, like, there's nothing that I felt like just spoke to me, if that makes sense. Like, all of these stories are worthy of being heard and told Mm -hmm. and stuff. But nothing that was just like, I want to retell this case. I need to look into this. I need to share this. But this week, um, since I couldn't find a case, I was just, like, scrolling on TikTok (laughs) and the true crime and like i'm a firm believer that if you aren't wanting to write about something that you can't force yourself to which fun side note that's how george r r martin writes that's my favorite arthur arthur uh, arthur <laughs> um do you know who he is no what what's what's he do you know who he what is? are his famous mm-hmm. books um he is the author for a song of ice and fire a what the Game of Thrones series. Oh. It's a song of ice and fire. But that's why he hasn't written the last two books because he doesn't want to just like whip something up and make it crappy and then like put just bullshit out there. But just because he wanted to get it out there, he wants to write it. And that's how I feel. And that's what a lot of writers struggle with. And so since I had trouble picking a case, I got on TikTok. I looked up true crime and just fished through the stories. And a lot of them are like the same stories that we hear all you know, over and over again. Casey yeah, like, Anthony. Yeah. Like that's the first name that popped up. John Binet. Like mm-hmm. all of these cases that you hear about that are just like people are beaten. Mm. 
I was going to say they're beating a dead horse, but like that's probably not a very good. Mm-hmm. Thing but to it, say. your listeners understand that. Yes. Yeah. So. My mission was to find a story that I had never heard of at all and to retell it to you the same way that I'm learning about it. And would you know, once that thought popped into my head, a video came up about a case that I had never heard of but immediately felt like I needed to share. Since we were children, we've been told the same thing over and over again. If you feel like you're in danger, you tell someone that you trust, right? Whether that be a parent, a teacher, a police officer, you just tell someone. That way... You can get help for the situation and it won't go any further. When we do this, we put our future into that person. We basically are just handing over whatever happens next, just over to them. Our wellness, our life, whatever else. When you feel like you're in danger by another person, you notify the police, law enforcement. Not only so that that person is held responsible for what they've done already, but just so that whatever they are doing doesn't continue or or progress, right? So what happens if you do every necessary precaution, you contact all the right people, you do everything right by standards set into place by society, and that doesn't work? What happens then? Nobody's got any answers, You get murdered, probably. This is the story of Lauren McCluskey and how she did do everything that she was supposed to do. I have a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have an answer. Is this set in Great Britain? No. Oh, okay. That was my question. <laughs> my one and only question. My sources this week are the TikTok I found about this case that was by at Crime with Court and the court is with a K. Um, the podcast Murder with My Husband. Ding. Ashley and I were listening to that on the way here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Dateline episode called She Did Everything Right, which is season 27, episode 37, and Legacy.org. Lauren was born on February 12th, 1997 in Berkeley, California. A year after she was born in 1998, her family moved to the college town of Pullman, Washington. Lauren's parents... Jill and Matt were both college professors, and they both were starting new jobs at Washington State University right there in Pullman. Um, so when her parents described her, they said that Lauren just never stopped. She was fearless. Uh, her mom said in an interview with Lester Hole of Dateline that by the time she was two, Lauren was climbing trees and just getting into everything, like just all over the place athletically. She was naturally born an athlete, so much so that by eight she entered the Junior Olympic Association for Track and Field. She set 10 different records in several different events in her first year. Wow. Yeah. By nine years old, she qualified for the nationals and competed in multi-event hurdles and high jump. She managed to earn herself the title of USA Track and Field All-American, which is within the top eight in each event, I believe. But she did that 19 times. Jeez. Yes, she was just incredible. She continued setting all different kinds of USA track and field association records in all events and age groups um, the longer that she continued, and 12 of those records are still standing today. Lauren was just borderline superhuman. Her skill and passion for track and field led her to having incredible success in high school, which earned her a scholarship at the University of Utah. But not only was she a star athlete, academically 
and socially she soared. She graduated high school with honors. She was a philosopher, a writer, both for which she won awards for and wanted to pursue a career in communication. She volunteered at her local animal shelter because she loved animals so much. She volunteered at the local YMCA and for the Special Olympics. She loved to sing and dance and was into photography. All three she was recognized for heavily. Her coaches and her peers were in awe of her attitude because she never complained. She never gave up and she always pushed herself and helped motivate others. So this was, <clears throat> excuse me, cheese. This was high school. She was doing all this yes. like volunteering and all that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So overall, Lauren was just an incredible person. It's obviously upsetting when anyone's life is cut short or if it's taken from them, but there's something so disheartening and tragic when you see something so devastating happened to someone so full of life and that has such potential to change the world. That's what makes Lauren's story so bothersome and heartbreaking. When your child moves away to college, I can't imagine the emotions you go through. This is the first big step into adulthood and them being out on their own. So it's just like downright scary to think about your baby going out into the world, doing who knows what, one of the big reasons Lauren wanted to attend the University of Utah in Salt Lake City was due to how safe it was. Salt Lake City is one of the safest places in the United States, and her parents knew that they had very little to worry about because Lauren didn't drink, she didn't do drugs, um, and like recreationally or otherwise, she also didn't go out on dates. She was just a very smart girl who made good choices and could be trusted out on her own. During freshman year of college in 2015, Lauren met someone that would soon be her best friend for the next four years. Her name was Alex. Lauren and Alex did everything together. They'd attend church together. They hung out in their dorms. They studied. They were basically best friends from the get-go. Freshman year, sophomore year, and junior year, Lauren did nothing but focus on her academics, her collegiate track and field career, church, and her friends. She didn't go out to bars. She didn't go out to clubs and she definitely didn't go out to meet men. That was the last thing on her mind. So she basically did the opposite of what you hear about the college experience. You know what I mean? Like she did everything you were supposed to mm -hmm. do. At the start of Lauren's senior year in September of 2018, her and Alex decided to change things up a bit. Since they were now 21, they decided to go to a bar in downtown Salt Lake City. At this bar, Lauren met Sean Fields. He was the security guard at the bar. He was tall, really muscular, good looking. Of course, any girl would be smitten by him. He let Alex and Lauren in that night. And since he was there, it was their first night out like this. And they told him about that. He made sure to keep a good eye on them. Lauren must have been impressed by his kindness because when the two women left that night, Lauren gave Sean her number. She was pretty excited. She had never done anything like this before. Um, she told Alex that she would just kind of wait and see if he was interested in her and if he would contact her. The next morning, Lauren immediately told Alex that Sean had texted her. Sean had asked Lauren out on a date that afternoon, and she definitely wanted to go. She had never obviously felt or had experienced anything like this, so I'm sure she was like just full of adrenaline because mm -hmm. she's 21 and going on her first date. So uh, during the date, Lauren learned a little bit more about Sean. He was 28 years old, so he was a little bit older than Lauren, but not too much. Uh, it's still within reason. You know, they're mm -hmm. both in their 20s. He was a part-time student at a community college, and he was studying computer science. 
Lauren really enjoyed her date with Sean, so she kept going on dates with him. Like, every day they were going on dates. She even told her parents that she was dating someone. Matt and Jill were even impressed with Sean. They remarked that it was so old-fashioned, quote-unquote, how he was giving her attention and asking her to dinner every night. About a week and a half after they first met, Lauren told Alex her and Sean were boyfriend and girlfriend. So I'm like, that's to me, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Matt, Lauren's dad, made the comment that, oh, here we go. Lauren's in love. This was Lauren's first real boyfriend. She was totally smitten with Sean. At least that's how Lauren's parents saw it. But Lauren's friends were seeing the reality of what was going on. And it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Back at school, Lauren's friends saw a change in her. Whenever Sean would call or text, Lauren would stop everything that she was doing, no matter what it was, and answer it. He was her first priority for some reason, which was very unlike Lauren. When the girls would visit Sean at work, he would mention over and over when they would leave that Lauren needed to stay awake so that he could be picked up by her at 2 a.m. from work. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Ashley's face is like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Sean started doing other weird things, like constantly harassing Lauren about who she was with and where she was. She would tell him the truth, that she was with friends, usually Alex, but he wouldn't believe her and still push her to be honest about where she was and who she was with. She had to check in with him regularly, send him pictures of the people that she was with and where they were, and just overall being extremely possessive. Alex told Lauren, hey, This isn't normal for dating, that he was being possessive, but Lauren thought that maybe over time he would learn to trust her and that this would just dissipate. She hadn't had any dating experience, so she thought that maybe this was just normal behavior. Lauren's friends tried to talk talk to her about Sean and how he was treating her because this was abuse, but Lauren just insisted that everything was fine. He was just worried about her. He was caring about her, blah, 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 blah. The same spiel to make it make sense for these people and make it okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had such a grip on her that when they got in a fight about how Sean was treating her, Lauren and Sean, he somehow was able to flip the issues onto Lauren during the problem. So he gaslit her. And then during the fight, he stormed off and Lauren swore that she would work on changing herself, even though she wasn't doing anything. I'm sorry. Wrong. Are you talking about me here? I feel personally attacked. <laughs> Jeez. <clears throat> so just a few weeks into their relationship, Sean was practically living in Lauren's dorm on the campus of the University of Utah. He didn't have a key card because he wasn't a fucking student, obviously. So he couldn't get onto campus. But since he was a very likable person, he made friends with dozens of other students there. And they would allow him to either use their cards or he could call them and they would give him access to the campus. So now that Sean was around constantly, Lauren's friends really noticed an even bigger change in her than before. She always seemed exhausted, like she was tired, sleep-deprived. She was overly stressed out, even more so than the normal college student. Her face had changed. Everything was weighing down on her, and, like, it was all about Sean. Almost like he was just sucking the life from her. Lauren mentioned to her friends that Sean said he wanted to purchase a gun for her, for her to protect herself, of course, 
Diamond, who was a friend of Lauren's and the RA for her building, immediately became concerned by this. Not only was this an extremely safe city, but the campus was extremely safe. There was no reason for Lauren, someone who had never used or wanted a firearm, to now suddenly have one because her abusive boyfriend told her that she needed one. Can you even have weapons? I was getting to that next. Although firearms are allowed on campus, they are to remain concealed and you need to have a license and proper registration of the weapon. So Sean was just going to give her a gun that he had already owned. That nobody knows where he got it from. So dangerous. Yeah, with her having no experience with the firearm. Finding out this information, Diamond reported the situation to her superior in housing. She called and wrote emails explaining how concerned she was about this because every time, but every time she contacted them, the officials within housing just pushed it aside. They said, oh, we'll talk about it later. Um, We'll worry about it at a later date. They'd go more in depth later. Whatever it was, they just kept making excuses to push it off and they never took it seriously. By the end of September... In 2018, those around Lauren were growing more concerned and unhappy with the relationship that she had with Sean. Her friends were growing more afraid of Sean and what he was capable of. They feared for Lauren, especially now that guns were getting involved into their relationship and how controlling and angry Sean was. It threw up even more red flags. Lauren's friend continuously tried to talk her down from keeping the gun. In early October 2018, so this is a month from when they first met, Lauren called Alex, her best friend, in a panic. She told Alex that she came across Sean's ID. And even though it had his photo, it had a different name on the card. So she did the thing any of us would do, and she searched the new name on Google. Sean Fields was not who Lauren thought he was. He was actually a man named Melvin Rowland. Everything she thought she knew about him was a total lie. He wasn't actually 28. He was actually 37 years old. (laughs) Ashley's face right now. (laughs) I am astounded. Then to top it off, he was a registered sex offender. He had been convicted with attempted forcible sexual abuse. I'm assuming rape is what that sounds like to me. I don't know why they got to put all these extra words into it. They always say like sexual assault and just say rape. Sexual assault, I understand. But attempted forcible sexual abuse just sounds like. It's it's sexual assault. It's rape. Or as I like to call it, unwanted sexual advance van. Yes. (laughs) That's for you, Matt. (laughs) And um, he was also charged with enticing a minor over the internet. Alex told her that she needed to break it off with this guy immediately. And Lauren said she would. And then she called her mother. She told her mom everything that had gone on and then what she had found out. So um, she told her that she wanted to break up with him but wasn't sure how to go about it. Her mom told her that she needed to cut ties with, quote-unquote, Sean immediately and get as far from him as possible. This guy was scary before, no doubt, but now it was taken to an entirely different level. That night, Lauren planned on confronting Melvin, which I will call him Melvin from now on because that is his name, Um She confronted him about everything that was going on, everything she found out about him. But when he showed up, or excuse me, she planned on confronting him. So she invited him over to her dorm. Um, When he showed up to Lauren's dorm, he didn't come to the door. Instead, he started looking in the windows and watching Lauren, stalking her, essentially. She had no idea that he was there. And then when Lauren saw him in the windows, it terrified her, obviously, 
when she waved him to come to the door, he came in like nothing ever happened. Nothing was wrong and he wasn't watching her through the windows. Creepy. Yeah. Is it possible he was has been doing that the whole time and she oh just never God. noticed? Yeah. Huge uh, possibility. That's right what's on. been going on. Um, so she finally spilled the beans about everything she had discovered about him and he immediately went into defense mode. He started saying that he was set up, that he was being framed, all kinds of wild stories about what was happening. But Lauren insisted that she was done and she was breaking up with him. And each time Lauren would say that, that she was going to go through with this, he would start pushing himself on her physically. Mind you, Lauren was small and petite and Melvin was a very large man. Her friend Alex said that he was easily four times her size. Lauren was stuck in her own dorm. Melvin refused to leave no matter how much Lauren pushed him to go, and the back and forth of trying to convince him to leave lasted until the early morning. Finally, Lauren bargained with him. She would let him take her car if he would just leave her alone. And he agreed. He took off in her car and agreed that he would leave it in a different college's parking lot pretty far away from where Lauren was and that she could just pick it up, which obviously is just fucking weird and sketchy. Why would you Yeah, do that's that? confusing. Yeah. Lauren's mother, Jill, decided that she was going to step into the situation. She called the University of Utah campus police to notify them of the situation going on, stating that this man was dangerous. A side note about the campus police. They're a really small department, only about 30 officers. Um, they are the ones who have jurisdiction over the whole campus, which is 30,000 students. So if something happens within the university that law enforcement needs to get involved, it goes to the campus police first. Jill told the dispatch that he was lying to her about her daughter, about his name, his age, stalking her, and that he was a sex offender. The dispatch got Lauren's contact information and sent an officer to assist her with getting her vehicle back. She was able to get her car back, no problem. Lauren and her parents thought that since the officers were now aware that he was causing problems with her, they would be more vigilant about monitoring. Now that she had the conversation with him, um, that she was done, and now that she bargained with him, then got her car back, Lauren was hopeful that she would no longer have to deal with Melvin. But unfortunately, it wasn't that easy. Lauren started receiving droves and droves of text messages. They were from, from people saying that they were Melvin's friends, asking why she was doing this to him. Quote, why would you do this to the big guy? He really loved you. Now he's upset. Aw. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad for him, right? Um, Lauren knew better that, though, although the numbers were unknown, um, she really felt that these were all just Melvin mm -hmm. and he was just disguising himself as somebody else under yeah. these numbers. That was my thought. Yeah. The texts went from one extreme to another. Now Melvin was in the, an accident and then he was in the hospital and then he died. All of a sudden. <laughs> all kinds of things that were said to hopefully convince Lauren to respond. But instead, she just blocked the numbers and contacted her mom. And Jill told her there was no way any of this was possible. If he was in a car accident, he would have it would have been reported somewhere, especially if there was a fatal a fatality. She really, she really is doing everything exactly right. Yep. Too. Yep. God. Not to mention, Lauren saw Melvin posting on social media, like under his Facebook account. So, like, make it make sense. Another number texted Lauren asking, will you come to funeral? And Lauren made the mistake of responding. 
She said, I know he's alive. Please leave me alone and don't text this number. I got police involved. She contacted the campus police dispatcher, um, telling them about all the text messages and how she feared that Melvin was doing this to lure her away from safety so that he could meet up with her. And when she told them about how she was being harassed, authorities said that there wasn't much they could do. Why? Because the texts weren't threatening violence. They told Lauren if things escalated, then to call back and they will see how to handle it from there. The next day, Lauren received an email from Melvin's phone number saying explicit photos they had taken during their relationship would be posted on social media unless Lauren paid for them to not be posted. Lauren once again called campus police. She explained she was being blackmailed for $1,000 and that her ex was threatening to send out these photos if she didn't comply. And they said there wasn't much that they could do. Once again. So Lauren was terrified. She knew Melvin was serious about his motives and wouldn't think twice about posting something like this online. So she paid the $1,000 and immediately went to the campus police with Alex to file a report in person. This was a crime. Right. This I, have, is, yeah. I have a question. Yes. Now, if she were to go to just regular law enforcement, they would probably turn it over to campus police anyway. Yes. Okay, yeah. that's what I think. And figured. we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, this is cyber extortion. But the campus police didn't take it seriously. They kept saying it was just a scam. They somehow twisted it to be someone else hacked into Melvin's phone and they took the photos. Not Melvin himself was behind any of this. They said that Lauren and Melvin were both potentially victims in this scam, in this hacking scam. <laughs> So Lauren took it further. She started telling them about when Melvin was peeping through her windows. Um, campus police just shrugged it off as being nothing more than normal boyfriend and girlfriend turmoil. Oh that God. she was being dramatic and she was exaggerating. But Lauren was really worried about the photos being leaked. So she pushed further and the campus police said that they would have answers in three days. She didn't believe them. So she took it further and went to the Salt Lake City Police Department. She questioned if anything could be done, but they just forwarded her back to the campus police because they had jurisdiction since everything was happening on campus grounds. Oh, my God. Yep. During the days that followed, Lauren was still receiving harassing calls and text messages from Melvin under anonymous numbers. She continued con contacting the campus police, afraid, and an officer decided that he was going to give her his personal cell phone number so that she could call or text if she needed to in emergency. Three days went by, and Lauren was still waiting for answers about the blackmail investigation. Of course, when she would be contacted, or when she would contact, they would say, oh, well, we'll get back with you later. The detective is still working on it, blah, blah, blah. Lauren right. was getting, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, unfortunately, <clears throat> it does take time, yeah. you know, investigations. And and they shouldn't give her, oh, three days. They shouldn't give somebody right, a right. time frame because, mm -hmm. I mean... This and if you're going to do it, life. then give her an update in three days, you know? I mean, yes, exactly. So Lauren was getting more and more exhausted with trying to get some kind of help and constantly just getting the runaround. Ten days after she broke up with Melvin, she received a text message that said, What did you tell the cops? We know everything. She knew Melvin was very good with technology, and now she was starting to get worried that he was hacking into her phone. Lauren contacted Salt Lake City Police again and she, because she was so worried. 
And she said she contacted the campus police and she wasn't getting any kind of help or updates. She told them someone contacted her and said they knew everything that was going on with the police. I was going to say, who's we? With what? You said he texted her and said, we know everything. Yeah, who is we? Yeah, who is we? Um, so she told them everything that was going on with the police and that she feared, what she feared was Melvin because... Obviously. Obviously, yeah. And once again, Salt Lake City Police circled her right back around to campus police, the exact department that wasn't giving her much help or safety in this situation. There has to become some kind of oversight. Wouldn't the Salt Lake City Police be overseeing you would think. campus police and like, you know what but I mean? Since it's not considered a violent crime, that may not be, which we all, we all know what happens in these cases of harassment. I mean, they can yeah. lead to very bad mm-hmm. situations. How much time has gone by since they met to the point you are in the story now where he's um, this hacking is, her phone? They met the the beginning of September. Okay. And this is about mid to late October. Oh my God. That is so, such quick escalation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so scary. Luckily, the same day, Lauren was able to get a hold of the detective who was in charge of her case. But when they spoke to Lauren, they didn't seem too urgent on moving this case forward. Lauren asked if the detective could send her an email about the progress in the case. And the detective just kept saying, oh, this is all a scam. Don't worry about it. Yeah. On the morning of Monday, October 22nd, 2018, another text was sent to Lauren from an anonymous number. This text stated that they were a campus police officer and asked Lauren to meet up with them to discuss her case. Oh, my God. Lauren was smart enough to not buy it. She called the campus police directly and asked about the text and if they sent it. And, of course, they didn't. But instead of red flags going off for them that, hmm, this is progressing in a weird direction. Maybe this guy is dangerous. They told her just to ignore it. Oh, my God. Why wouldn't they send an officer to that spot to meet him. Exactly. At least. Exactly. The man who has been stalking and harassing her, the man who has severe charges against him, the man who has continuously proved he is dangerous and needs to be watched, is now impersonating an officer to get Lauren alone, and she's just supposed to ignore it. Right. That is, that's that's a bad crime. <laughs> yep. That same evening... Okay, Melvin decided to go loiter around where Lauren's dorm was, which is all caught on security footage. He was holding a black bag, pacing, and was waiting for Lauren. He stood out there for two hours, still waiting for Lauren, who was at an evening class. And on the security footage, he was seen um, noticing Lauren was back. She drove back. So it was night. Yes. Okay. And confronting her. Lauren was on the phone with her mom when Melvin approached her and Jill could hear Lauren scream no, then believes that she was tackled and the phone hit the ground because it was off camera at that point. So Jill kept yelling for Lauren on the phone, but there was no sound from the other end. Jill immediately thought she, her daughter was being attacked or kidnapped, obviously, and she knew it was Melvin. Matt, Lauren's dad, called 911. He told them his daughter was a student at the Utah, the University of Utah, and they were on the phone, and that she was attacked or kidnapped. 
Police were sent to the parking lot of Lauren's dorm where they just blocked everything off. And they also sent out a notification to all students on campus that they needed to shelter in place. Hours later, the university police confirmed a student had been killed on campus and the suspect they released photos of, Melvin Rowland. Lauren had been shot several times and her body was left in the back of a random car in the campus parking lot. Oh my God. Police started a full-on manhunt for Melvin, and during this manhunt, police had discovered something they had missed from the beginning. Melvin was on parole. How was this missed? Parole is basically an extension of prison, and they are supposed to be supervised while back in society. And the more police looked into Melvin, they realized just how much was missed when it came to Melvin. He had spent 10 years of his life in prison, was on parole three times, and violated his parole twice, and was sent back. And during one of his parole meetings, Melvin had mentioned he used women and manipulated them to get what he wanted. He would have been arrested for any of the things that he was doing to Lauren, not to mention he was in violation because he had a handgun and had social media, which he was not supposed to have because he had enticed a minor online. He could have been arrested and Lauren's life would have been spared. Shortly after midnight, Melvin was spotted by a church nearby and reported to police. When the police got there, they found Melvin had already shot himself and was dead. Sorry, I didn't mean to slam that down. That made me mad. (laughs) The death of Lauren really brought to light issues within the campus police. They didn't have a proper protocol for looking into past histories of people. They didn't have proper training on how to handle extortion against women, sexual extortion, social media extortion, date rape, or other crimes against women. Date rape. That one really was like on a campus, a college campus. That is literally. That's frequent. Date rape city. Yeah. Even still, three days after Lauren's death, the campus police stuck to their story that they weren't in the wrong here for not taking it seriously. They said they handled it as best as they could, considering Lauren never stated that he was threatening her with physical harm, even though he was harassing her, even though he was impersonating a police officer and other people, even though he missed the mark with looking at his past. They missed the mark with looking at his past crimes and seeing he was on parole and shouldn't have even been on campus. Even so, the University of Utah commissioned a review of the case and the police force basically to save face in the situation and hopefully get like professional, like, oh, they did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. It took two months to reveal just how badly the campus police and the university failed Lauren. So there were over 30 recommendations on how to improve campus safety precautions. But even with that being said... The president of the University of Utah, Ruth Watkins, stated, and I quote, the report does not give any reason to believe that this tragedy could have been prevented. So the Salt Lake City Police Department reviewed the case and said that? Mm-hmm. Well, it was the, um, there, there's like a commissioner, like a state commissioner that oversees and like reviews police departments to make sure they're following correct precautions and stuff like that and yeah even after they got that review back that they needed 30 recommendations there are 30 recommendations like if shit they need to do better yes basically to work to improve yeah so lauren did everything right everything she was able to do at least the campus police knew about melvin they were not trained on a a college campus on how to recognize and deal with relationship harassment 
relationship violence, stalking, etc. After Lauren's death, there has been a ripple effect. The chief of police, who was the head of Lauren's case, retired at the end of 2018, less than two months after her murder. The officer assigned to Lauren's extortion claims was said to have showed his co-workers the nude photos of Lauren without work-related reason. But by the time that this was found out, the police officer had already left the force. Oh, my God. Yeah. How did... Wait. Did, wait. How did... Wait. How did he get the photos? Okay, so he was asked... Or Lauren was asked to hand... The, I forgot that part. I'm sorry. Okay. Lauren was asked to hand those photos over to the police so they knew what they were looking for, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it didn't sus. make much sense to me either. But yeah, that was part of it. So was she, she, she why paid would, for the photos. Yes. And then he sent her the photos? She paid for the photos to not be released, but when she made the, um, when she went to campus police, yeah, when she went to campus police and made the report, right. Part of the report was I don't know if like the emails were printed off and the emails included the photos. Okay. okay. So she had to have this proof, but she had to hand those, the photos. I don't think she was like, here's the minute photos. I think it was within the emails and they had to have documentations that the emails were sent and they were just like part, like a file attachment okay, or well, whatever. Why, why are they asking her to hand over this evidence if they're not doing anything with it anyway? Because they were doing it on the extortion, but they believed that it wasn't Melvin. That's it was right. somebody that was hacked scam. Okay. his phone. And because the phone number... That emailed her, because you can email from a phone number, you know? Mm -hmm. It was his phone number that emailed her. But it was like, oh, it's hacked. So they thought a computer science major got hacked? Yeah. I don't think he was a college student at all. Oh. I think that was just bullshit. Right. Yeah, I go to the community college down the road. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Hey, I do want to acknowledge in this episode, if you kind of hear some rumbling in the background, it is, uh, there is a storm outside, and uh, so if you hear some thunder, please forgive us. Yes. Yeah, we just came back from a break because Alicia left her lights on, and she had to go outside in the rain and, and I have in some her great, slides. I have some great video of her and her trash bag covering, too. <laughs> she put a trash bag over her body I did and that. cut a hole out so she could see. I did do that. Excuse you. There was a weird cryptid in. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. In Jeremy's lawn, and if you want to see it, maybe he'll oh, post yeah. video footage of the cryptid in his yard on the United States of Paranormal social media pages. There you go. Oh my gosh! Please do that. And after we're done recording, I want to see that video too because I, right. I didn't get up. What a lazy. weird cryptid! I'm sorry. I just want to acknowledge the thunder. <laughs> Um, and the other officers that had been shown the pictures, um, were fired for being involved and not saying anything. The university president, Ruth Watkins, who made that shitty comment, um, announced that she would step down in the spring of 2019. Good. So the following season after this happened. It's good they fired those two other officers too. It's mm-hmm. good. The university did a lot of changing when it came to campus safety. They reevaluated their safety precautions, added additional training, and even added trained social workers to their police force. 
which I think is super important. Yeah, right. They need someone to be able to look at stuff like that and assess the threat level. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. That's good. Yeah. Lauren's parents took the University of Utah to court for what had happened to Lauren. And in 2020, the university settled out of court with the McCluskeys for $10 million. During the settlement, they also agreed to donate $3 million to the foundation that her parents started, the Lauren McCluskey Foundation. This foundation was started by Matt and Jill, and the mission statement says, honoring the life and spirit of Lauren McCluskey by bringing awareness to funding research for and providing resources to change the cultures that respond poorly to dating violence and stalking on campuses. Lauren's parents pledged the 10 million settlement money directly to the foundation. Oh my God. Yeah. Through the Lauren McCluskey Foundation, they also started a program called Lauren's Promise, um, and that can be joined and pledged by any professors, students, or colleges around the world. Lauren's Promise is, I will listen and believe you if someone is threatening you. I will represent a safe haven for sharing incidences of sexual assault, domestic violence, or stalking, and I will change campus culture that responds poorly to dating violence and stalking. I think this story is important because it emphasizes that anyone can be a victim of abuse in so many different forms. This happened for Lauren in less than two months of meeting him. One in four women have to deal with physical violence from a partner and one in seven men have. A lot of the times there are red flags, but sometimes there isn't. So always go with your gut. Take the first time seriously. If they did it once, they'll probably do it again. If you went to the police and you aren't successful with feeling safe, keep going back until you get help. Document everything. And I mean everything. If they punch the wall, go to the police and document it. You don't have to file charges against them, but it needs to be documented. When it comes down to it, you're the only person that can fight for yourself. Please stay safe. And if you see situations that you feel are bad, speak up. No matter who it is or what policies there are, speak up. Always speak up. So, Ashley and Jeremy, what are your thoughts? That's a really sad case. She was just a baby. Yeah. So recent, too. God. I only only have Okay, so in all of my true crime listening and all of the stuff that we've talked about here on Murder Nerds, it's always... A lack of police. I don't know what the word diligence. I'm looking for. Yeah, it, yeah, like they don't take it as serious as yeah. they should. Yeah. I mean, okay, she already did most of the legwork. She knew that right. you know that that wasn't actually him. She knew that he was a sexual predator. He was, you know. I don't understand why we can't just look into it. Well, I think there's a big problem with believing people or believing that it's as serious as they say it is. Um, Right, because they have to weed it out, too. I mean, I'm sure they get a lot, you know. Um, There's a big culture, in my opinion, there's a giant culture within the United States of somebody's trying to get something. People are being dramatic. It's not that big of a deal. Um, And that's with anything. Like, you know, when people say, oh, they're mooching off. Welfare that happens very, very seldomly, and there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get in on mm-hmm. welfare. So it's 
this is another situation where this girl's coming forward and they're probably thinking, oh, she just probably is mad at him and trying to get him in right, trouble with the police. Right. And because they're not being taken seriously at first. Yeah, and, but take five minutes. And I mean, what I'm saying right. is, is that if they are, if Salt Lake City Police Department is reverting it back to the campus security, then that means that they should have access to all the same information that Salt Lake has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So take five minutes and do a search on this guy. Oh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. He's on parole? That means, boom. Right. Which they means, have, like, tell a liaison. Me, that... Yeah. To tell me right up the top is they did zero. Take five fucking minutes. Yeah. There wasn't a protocol for when people are... Pro- are protocol over common sense. Mm-hmm. Five minutes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. Five his name through the system. Right. She could have, I mean, I, I don't know about other states, but obviously within the, in Indiana, there is a website that you can look up anybody's name on that website and find out if they have a criminal history, if they're on parole, if they're, um, if there's a warrant out for their arrest, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that's to, to the public. So it could have taken these cops who have that access Literally two seconds. If it mm-hmm. can take a you know dumbass like me in Indiana to look up somebody's name, it, t- it takes right. two seconds. Right. But I do have one more com. I, I have a comment or, and, um, once again, this is not being insensitive, but I'm just wondering why she didn't change her phone number. That's a good question. I mean, if the harassing text messages and stuff are coming in, why wouldn't that be one of the first things you do? Yeah. You know that this. It, no, it's not right. Why wouldn't you just say, I mean, I'm sure it's a family plan and just call up your call up mom and say, hey, let's change my number because I'm getting all these texts and I don't want them. I'm ignoring them. But can we just change this? I have a comment on that because I did have somebody that was kind of like harassing me and I did not change my number. And I did that. So I I knew when they were. Like I was active in their head, kind of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I so you knew that. when there was like a threat level, or if there was something going on. Because if you change your number, then what? Then they don't have that access to you. They're going to look for Find it somewhere, somewhere else. else. Right so on. when you you can still receive those, and I don't know, it was kind of comforting, like just to know, like okay, I haven't gotten a text in a week, so he must not be thinking about me. But then I get one the following week. It's like, okay, now I need to be a little more vigilant yeah, and like, be more pay attention. Yeah. yeah. So that's, okay. that does make sense. Can, well, yeah, and he I was reaching totally out to her email address even. So right. he was well, finding I did other catch avenues. That. Yeah, I did mm-hmm. catch that too. Which, but. And yeah, I, I could see how that would be one of the first things you'd want to do. And thinking of how it, like within well, a month. I was going to say it happened weeks. so fast yeah, that's true. too. Yeah. yeah. And like Ashley said, that's a very good point, Ash, that they'll yeah, find other avenues or they'll start, you know, harassing you at your home or. Right. And then what? You move, you know, like how yeah. far can for you mine, get? like They're the texting, your family. Yeah. The texting was enough for him. You know what I mean? And then it it, it dwindled and, yeah. and it stopped and I haven't heard from him in years. But it's like if you take that avenue away, what other avenue are they going to take? Yeah. They're going to find another route yeah. to get what they want. Yeah. Wow. You did a really good job telling that story. Thanks. You always I appreciate do. that. that Thank was, you. That's too bad, though. It had yeah. to end that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's scary. And it's scary knowing that this was her first, like, experience dating. Mm-hmm. Her very first experience See, and dating. that's another thing, too, is, like, when you... And I am not... I'm not um, dissing on her at all. I, I think that 
she, you know, lived a great life, smart, moral. But when you you don't date when you're a little bit younger and learn kind of about that, and mm-hmm. then you're out in the world without anybody over like parents overseeing you, you can't. You know, you yeah. don't know how to spot those things. Yeah. Well, and I, I might sound like a crazy person, but ask people for their ID. If you start getting serious with somebody or even on the first date, like we've talked about before, you take uh, their license plate number down if you're going mm-hmm. out with somebody that you're yep. meeting for the first time or the second time or the millionth time. Unless you really get to know this person, ask them for their ID. I want to know your full name. I'm sorry. I want to make sure you're the correct age. You're not like 40 years old. (laughs) And I guess that's not very old now that we're 30. (laughs) In in this situation, in this story, 40 would be old. Yeah. Yeah. I know 40 is within like our dating pool rate, like age (sighs) range now. That's weird. It is weird. Well, and it's like, why are you laughing, Jeremy? (laughs) (laughs) 40s within your dating pool. That's hilarious. It It is. is. (laughs) It really is. Um, You know, anybody that's not going to cause a problem or whatever won't mind that you're asking to see their ID or asking to get tested or asking for, you know, hey, I'm sorry. I just want to – I'm a female living in this world. I'm a man living in this world. I want to make sure that I'm staying safe or, you know, whatever it is. So right. don't be afraid to Google somebody's name. Yeah. If you Google it in quotes, like put quotes on either side, it helps to pull information with uh, oh, really? that person's specific name. Yep. Yeah. Because if you just type in like John Doe, it's going to pull, pull up, up each a lot of Johns. But if you put that name in quotes, it'll just be that John. You know what I mean? Yeah. That specific name. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, and so. find out if your local... Um, if your government allows for their public records to be put out, and if so, then I know Texas does it. Um, I think Missouri does it. Indiana does it. Where you can search somebody's name and find out their criminal history from the last, like, 30 years or something. Hmm. So, yeah. Don't be scared. And I mean, it pulls up, like, if you got... A seatbelt ticket. Right. <laughs> Dude, up. my case is awesome. I'm my case, everybody. Yeah, so do I. Always. It'll tell, it'll, like, when you get divorced, um, married, small claims, speeding, seatbelts, yeah. anything. Anything and everything. It's hmm. pretty crazy. So, yeah, don't be afraid to do that. Seriously, protect yourself. And if people think it's fucking weird, then they're fucking weird because... You never know someone. Yeah, if they don't understand and don't want you to do that, then they've got trust issues or yep. they've done something that they don't want you to know about. And that's your red flag to leave <laughs> yes. before you even start. Yep. Yep, 100%. Crazy, isn't it? So, and there's a lot of avenues, too. Like, um, you know, if you or anyone you know is experiencing, like, domestic violence of any kind... If you or someone you know is experiencing any kind of domestic violence within the relationship, please feel free to call 1-800-799-7233. It's open 24 hours. They offer um, over 200 different languages through interpretation, and um, they're open 365 days a year. And I think it's really important to get help before it gets too far. 
Word. So we want to hear what you guys think. What's your opinion on this case? Please contact us on our social media platforms or um, at our email, which is murdernerds at gmail.com. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram, TikTok. Um, Instagram. Did I say Instagram? You did. Twitter. That's the one I forgot. Tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet. Um, if you're an Apple or Spotify listener, feel free to rate and review us. This is the best and easiest way to share your thoughts and support the podcast. You can also support the podcast by pledging a monthly donation. And in the coming future, we'll be, we will be changing our merch to a different platform. We've been having issues with our current providers, so we've decided to ditch them and go somewhere else. So um, hopefully we're going to have better quality at better prices and more options for merchandise. So stay tuned. Hey. If you like what we're doing here at Murder Nerds, um, you may also enjoy our other show, the other shows within the Golden Mojo family of podcasts, Golden Image Podcast, Indiana Chiefs fans, The Call Guys, or The United States of Paranormal. And you can listen to any of those um, shows wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. And we'll be sure to link them in the show notes um, on podcast platforms and on our social media. You guys got anything else you need to say? Nope. Alrighty. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll be back next week with another interesting story for you. Bye-bye. Bye.